On this episode, Canada, skajuring, and a glossary of ski terms. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to another episode of the Almost There Adventure Podcast. It is winter, so we are going to be talking all things wintry today, and we are very excited to have with us Ingrid Granlin, who is the owner and head instructor of Glide Nordic. She has a Nordic skiing background, and we can't wait to learn all about that. And uh, Ingrid, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. My name's Ingrid. I live in Bend, Oregon, and I have been a Nordic instructor uh, for about 25 years. Grew up ski racing in northern Canada, um, so I don't really remember a time where I wasn't on skis. I've been in Bend for about 10 years teaching there. Um, yeah. And are you a Canadian, or were you were you born in Canada? I am a Canadian. I'm a dual citizen. Oh, nice. Is she our first Canadian somehow? I was just wondering that. Like, we've had, like, over 50 guests, and somehow, magically, I don't think we've had a Canadian, have we? I don't think we have. I wow. think you might be the first. Canuck. Yeah, I know. That, that's kind of shameful to do an <laughs> hey? outdoor podcast and not have a Canadian until, like, your, you know, your mid-50s in episodes. So, as far as the skiing, have you always done cross-country, or was it... So has that just been your background when you were racing and stuff as well? Yeah. Yeah, I started uh, Nordic skiing when I was super little and then was started racing Nordic when I was about four years old. And then I did alpine skiing, but just through school and then got into alpine or downhill skiing in uh, my 20s and then quickly moved to Telemark and Alpine touring because I don't really like the ski resorts as much, nor can I afford it. Um, so I do a lot. Probably on my days off uh, when I'm not teaching, I'm doing a lot of backcountry skiing. That's most of my thing. I got a question. So help me who I know nothing about like Nordic skiing and you've already mentioned like Alpine and Telemark and I've heard of like skate skiing or something like that. So maybe like give us the lay of the land and like what are the different kinds of Nordic skiing? And and I think, I think you know, we talked about cross-country skiing. What, what are all, all these different variations and like how do they fit together? You bet. I actually just been working on a glossary of terms for my website because I get that question all the time. But so cross-country skiing and Nordic skiing are synonymous. They're the same thing. And within cross-country skiing, there's two disciplines. There's skate and classic. Um, skating is done with a lateral push. You've probably seen that out and about. It's a little bit faster. Uh, classic's the more traditional in the tracks um, or just more of a parallel. Your skis are parallel but again, in, um, in the forest rather than uh, lift serve. And then you can, if you talk about alpine skiing or downhill skiing, those are the same things. Those are lift access via chairlift. Um, and then backcountry skiing, you can do alpine touring. Also, can, you've heard it called randonnée. Um, or schemo, that's a newer term, um, and uh, or telemark skiing. And then telemark and alpine are two different types of turns that you can do on your, your bigger gear. Um, so they're all skiing, just different types of skiing, and they all have different gear. So when you get into skiing, you need a 
big garage for all of these different types of skis. <laughs> so what's the gateway drug for Nordic skiing? <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. I always encourage people to get into classic first. I think that's a good place to start. Classic skiing is the, the base level, very simple, very straightforward, uh, fairly easy to learn, um, and then move on from there. And what does one need to classic ski? So like what sort of the gear setup and what, yeah, what do you need? Yeah, so a good classic setup, you'd have some comfortable boots. Boots are the most important thing in all types of skiing. If your feet aren't happy, you're not happy. So classic boots, skis and poles, and then some basic outdoor clothing like you would wear to go running or hiking. And that's pretty much it. I think just uh, just those things. You can get a lot more nerdy than that, but that's your basic uh, classic setup. And that only costs like three thousand dollars. Right? Yeah, about. So. No, yeah. What, what is it going to run us? You know. <laughs> you can get a fairly uh, decent set of classic gear for about five or six hundred dollars. You'll find it for cheaper, but I don't recommend, you know, just going to Walmart or something and buying some basic skis. I'd get something that's that you can grow into, or else uh, that you won't have as good of an experience. I think that Nordic um, often has been the the type of skiing that you can get into for less money and so people are like oh i just got these skis and i got them for my brother i think they'll be fine and they're not always fine and then you won't have a great experience if you don't have the right equipment for you i feel like that's a that's a good general rule yeah yeah for right. outdoor stuff <laughs> what is the are, are there like different lengths and sizes you know like does it go by the height your, your your height or is it by your experience or how fast you want to go or who's going to help me pick those skis <laughs> right um so you should i would hope that you would buy cross-country skis from a cross-country ski specific store um some of the bigger uh bigger stores like rei and that they might have some people on staff that are really good at fitting skis but a, a store that really specializes in nordic gear is preferable because the ski should be set to your weight versus length and so if you're a newer skier you would probably go with a shorter ski but you want to have the right flex for you if the ski is too soft then you're going to be squishing it down and it's going to drag and it's going to catch and and uh, be slow and if it's too stiff then you're not going to be able to compress the ski and you won't get grip in the snow and then that won't be a good experience either um, so usually a good nordic store will have a machine or a device that can measure the ski for your weight and then they can pair you with the right ski. So, cause you have, you could have two people that are 150 pounds and one could be super short and the other one could be a beam pole, but they still would have the same flex ski. Something tells me we don't have a cross country store in Los Angeles, but I don't know. Probably maybe. not. Yeah. <laughs> Come to Ben, we have there, four. I, I, yeah, I bet there, I bet there probably is somebody who has, you know, a good cross country ski selection because I mean, there's, there's snow in the mountains and people are going to go do what they're going to do. It's actually there's there's there you know if you look like 20 30 years ago there was a big LA scene and like if you go up to hike Mount Pinos which is one of the six pack of peaks which is Jeff's thing the the place where you park is a Nordic ski hut like a Nordic ski club but now you just there's no snow <laughs> you know thanks, thanks to climate change up by Waterman there were all kinds of trails up by Big Bear yeah there were all yeah. kinds of Nordic trails and the sad truth is you just you're lucky to get a few days a year, you know, or maybe a couple weeks a year, and otherwise they melt out, which is We're sad. just going to slowly migrate north. Pretty soon yeah. we'll be in BC, and you yeah. know, then, then we'll be up in the Yukon or yeah. Oregon. <laughs> you, you already have, Jeff, and so... I you know, know right? You know, 
I, I'm in Bend so, as well, Ingrid, by what, the way. So. What brought you, so speaking of going north, being from the north, what brought you south? What brought you down to Oregon? You know, um, it actually was ski related. Um, I moved to Bend 10 years ago because a friend of mine whom I'd worked with as a ski bum in Tahoe in my early 20s, uh, she called me and she said, you know, I think you'd really like this town. And so I came down for a winter. I used to do winters in Bend and summers up north. And uh, so I came down for the winter and I did maybe three years of going back and forth and just moved full time to Bend. And it, it, Bend is one of those magical places and Tahoe is a little bit similar where you can have really good skiing and a huge snowpack. Um, but the weather's fantastic. And if you want to drive away from the snow, you can, whereas where, where I'm from, it's dark and cold for a lot of the year. Um, winters are long. And then those seasons, the sh what we call the shoulder season, which is spring and fall, are very muddy and you can't do a lot of different sports. So this, uh, the, the climate was the main reason I ended up staying in Bend. It's a pretty great place. And where in Canada, what part of Canada are you from? You said north, I guess, right? Yeah. I'm from British Columbia, Northern British Columbia, a little oh. town called Smithers, British Columbia. Oh, cool. Is it named after Wayland Smithers? You probably hear that joke every time when people, no, that's yeah. a Simpsons character for, for those. Are, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't see the zoom, but she just did it perfect. I'm sure this is the worst cliche Smithers. joke. I'm sure everyone from your town hates that joke more than anything. But luckily, since we're, you know, you're our first Canadian guest, I think I can get away with it with our totally. American yeah. audience, at least. <laughs> we're going to see a big boom in sort of Canadian yes. listeners. Yes, know, I know, right? Exactly. High expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly it'll be big in Canada. Yeah, Molson. Right. Molson's going to sponsor us and we'll have, yeah, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or Labatt's. Labatt's is the, isn't that British Columbia is more Labatt's, right? Am I getting that right or wrong? And Molson's uh, no. the, the Quebec kind of. Both are, yeah, yeah, both are pretty much Canada wide, yeah. So, how old were you when you first started skiing? I can't remember. I As soon as I could walk. I have photos of me on skis when I was probably two years old. So, yeah. That's <laughs> really cool. So, you probably never had, like, you kind of got past the fear thing really yes. young i mean you're just like fearless you know like hey this is what i do i'm it's like walking or running there's skiing it's just another mode that i i go into yeah exactly i'm i'm really lucky to have learned so young and it's been interesting for me as an instructor to meet all these adults that have never been on anything that slides and i'm starting to teach them in their 50s sometimes 60s um, and trying to think what that feels like for someone for the very first time as an adult to be on skis um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of fear around skiing. Yeah, and that's why another reason why Nordic is a better way to get started because it's not quite, you're not dealing with the crowds and the lifts and that sort of thing. Um, it's a friendlier way to get into the sliding sports. Yeah, so speaking of learning to ski, I'm, my wife and I are learning to ski starting this in February. So, um, and we're, you know, she's 60, I'm going to be 60, so we're, <laughs> in that sort of demographic you're talking about, that older demographic. And it's like, what, you know, what do we have to look forward to and, and what should be, we watch out for? Besides like, you, not breaking things. Right. And, <laughs> um, are you going to do alpine skiing or cross country skiing? Um, alpine skiing. Alpine skiing, okay. Good, good work with your terms. Um, so 
I, I would just uh, dress appropriately, um, make sure that you have the right clothing, make sure that uh, you uh, keep your knees bent <laughs> and look where you want to go. Um, and if you can, uh, take lessons on a, on a nice mellow day midweek. That's always nice to avoid the weekend crowds. That's a good way to get into it. Um, so no blue jeans, right? <laughs> no blue jeans. Yeah, no. You'll get no labeled. Cotton. No cotton, <laughs> and you, you'll get labeled a kook. You'll you'll end up on a, a Jerry of the day. Do you guys follow that no. that Instagram account? Follow no. that one. Jerry <laughs> of the day. Jerry right. of the day. We'll put yeah. that in the show notes. In fact, that's a good um, yeah. If you're going for your first lesson, that's a good Instagram account to follow for not what not to do at the ski hill. I just I am looking at it and right Jeff, now. And Jeff, you're doing the <laughs> ski program through Bachelor, right? Yeah, the 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 ride, the border ride in five or something like that. So ski and ride in five. Skier skier ride in five. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing program. I think it's one of the best ones on the West Coast for learning to ski. As it's just it's well set up. You don't just do one lesson, so you're going to get a variety of conditions and um, weather and instructors. And yeah, that'll be that'll be excellent. That's probably the best way to get into it. I'm I'm sort of the opposite of Jeff. I grew up skiing actually because my grandpa was a uh, grew up skiing. He was from Salt Lake, and then my uncles all grew up, and they would all take me. My mom didn't, but they would they would take me skiing. We go to Tahoe. I was when I was in Northern California or Big Bear when I lived down here. But sort of the minute it became something that I was going to have to pay for, like you mentioned, like how expensive it is, I sort of stopped doing it. And uh, so yeah, I haven't. I've, I think I've gone three times since I was twenty, maybe for Alpine, but I or for uh, for like downhill. But I have done a lot of actually a fair amount, believe it or not, of, as a, an LA person of Nordic skiing. Uh, and uh, backcountry skiing. I'm not very good at it, but there's a ski hut in Yosemite, which is like my favorite place on the planet. And the only way into it is to ski. And it's just called Ostrander Ski Hut. And it's just really beautiful. Have you been there? I have, yeah. Oh, isn't it amazing? I just It's incredible. It's yeah. one of the most amazing places. Oh, God, it's yeah. so gorgeous. I've been there, I think, nine. I've done nine trips there now. I know. I just like my favorite spot. So I muddle. The, the first time I made the biggest mistake ever and did snowshoes, which don't do that for that trip at least because – you have seven, eight miles of road, which will take you a little over an hour of skis and will take you like three or four hours on snowshoes. And when you're cold and wet and tired, that is not a fun, uh, that is not fun. But, yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, that's, that's and just going up the Ridge, like that horizon Ridge. And if you remember that, the views of half dome and everything, it's spectacular, but that, so yeah, I'm not good yeah. at it, but it is a really fun way and it's a neat way to, you know, explore and do that kind of thing. That is a magical, magical ski. And that is, uh, you know, cross-country skiing is the thing that prepares you to do stuff like that. So you learn on groom trails and figure out all the ways to stop and turn around and change direction. And then you move up to that. And Osterander can be, it can be a super easy, you know, crust cruise where you're like riding on top when there's no fresh snow. But I've had some trips in there where you're breaking trail up to your thighs, you know, if you get those Sierra snow. So it can be one, uh, can be a very different trip depending on the conditions. But yeah, skiing in Yosemite is one of the most magical things I've ever done. They, yeah, they actually have a groom trail that goes out to Glacier Point in the mm -hmm. winter. They, yep. they groom the road. The road. So it's a 10-kilometer classic or skate out there. It's really cool. I need to do that because I've done Ostrander. And again, the first eight, eight miles, seven miles, I think, of, of the Ostrander trip are on that road. On the, yeah. So, so it's kind of neat. And then you go right, and then you go straight up, and that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah, yep. but it's uh, I've always, I've never done the glacier part 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 of it. And I've always sort of meant to, and they even you can stay that you can do overnights. I don't know 
now yep. with COVID, I mean, they, this year they're not doing, they haven't done Ostrander the last two years because of COVID, but, um, they, uh, I know the, the, what's like the snack bar or whatever, they turn into uh, an overnight hut on Glacier. I've always meant to do it. And I just, it's always like, if I have one trip, I always want to go to Ostrander. So yeah. I, I have yet to make the, the Glacier Point winter trip. But that, that would be a lot of fun. I think we need to plan, you know, when, when it's available again, yeah. we need to plan one of those trips and, and absolutely. And actually... I, I've invited you, Jeff. I've invited you yeah. in the past. I think you never, never worked out. I know, but, uh, well, actually Technically, probably I haven't been in like seven, eight years because the last two times I had reservations. One time they shut down due to no snow, and the other time they evacuated and shut down because of too much snow. And I didn't realize until I got there and tried to make a right hand turn on on the Glacier Point Road, and the gate was shut right there. I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, even before I left town, it was open. So I guess I've been out of luck. <laughs> was that 2011 by any chance? Uh, no, no, this is more recent. I think, um, like 2016 and then I think 2018 maybe were the last two years I tried and, and, and both years, yeah, it didn't work sadly. So it's, I think the last time I went was 2012. Okay. So I need to get back up there and I, I went a lot. I mean, I went almost every year for, you know, I get for like 10 years. So, Amazing. so yeah. Cool. 2011 was the year that duped me into thinking California had snow all the time. Right. Like that I was... got into the outdoors in 2011 and I was like, it's like this every winter. This is amazing. That was no. crazy. I was working in Yosemite. <laughs> I was working as a ski instructor in Yosemite Park that year. We called it Snowmageddon. And at, some, at one point, they just, like you said, they had to shut down the road up to Badger Pass, which is where they where you start to go to Osterander Hut. And they had to shut it down so quickly. The snow came in so quickly that a bunch of people got trapped at Osterander. And then when they skied out, they couldn't get their cars out. And so they ended up staying in the lodge at Badger Pass for like three or four nights. And oh, no. They broke into the beer oh cooler. Like it was this whole <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah, it was an epic winter. But I got to ski some things in Yosemite that you don't, you really never get to ski anymore. So I feel very so lucky fun. that I was there that year. That sounds so awesome. So what's your favorite, yeah, so speaking of like crazy experiences like that, what is your favorite ski memory, ski story? Oh man, I mean, those are definitely, Yosemite's special. If, if you can ski there, if you can get your skills to the point where you can get up to Glacier Point or Osterander, that's amazing. Um, uh, <laughs> I have so, so many. Um, um, I did spend some time in Switzerland. Um, I was training for a race there and I've got some friends that live in Switzerland and I uh, got to stay with them for about three weeks and <clears throat> I could take my skis on the train and they have cross-country ski trails basically in every single valley over there groomed. And so I would take the train down to the end of some valley and then ski back 40 or 50 kilometers, like just take all day and like stop at a little cafe and have a glass of wine and then keep skiing and like that's a pretty special experience too um and then with the backcountry stuff i've done um many trips all over the canadian rockies and and uh that area in british columbia um but that was not cross-country skiing that was uh ski touring so that's an avalanche train a little bit different that way Explain the difference between ski touring and cross country. Yeah, and do you have a favorite child between the two? <laughs> I don't. I can't pick one. Don't make me choose. Um, so cross country skiing, you are you don't have uh, skins. Your heel is detached from your binding the whole time. When you're alpine touring, you're basically on alpine skis, but you have these special bindings where your 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 heel detaches. 
So Randony, you can walk. right? Is that Randony? Randony, yeah. yep, okay. same thing. Yeah. And then you put what's called a skin on the bottom of the ski, and it sticks to the bottom of your ski, attaches there, and it only slides forward, so you have grip to go in. And then when you get to the point where you're going to ski down something, you take those skins off, put them in your backpack, and ski down. So cross-country skiing, you're just moving seamlessly. You don't have to take the skins on and off. It's very much lighter gear, um, but limits you to where you can get to. And let me just say, skins work, and we sort of learned this like kind of the hard way, like we were on an Ostrander trip. Again, we don't really know what we're doing because we live in Los Angeles. And, you know, you're, you're climbing up the mountain, and, you, you know, it's cold out. You don't necessarily want to, like, you know, take your gloves off and – you're like, oh, how good they, can they be? So you, you know, struggle, you know, one step up, you take, you step two feet forward and you slide like a foot back, stop, you put the skins on and immediately recognize, oh yeah, skins really work. <laughs> so like, do, do, do not even ever hesitate to put those things on your skis. They work incredibly well. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I can say from idiot experience for those of people that are thinking of trying this, um, having done everything from like the sort of narrow backcountry skis, you know, which are kind of how, but, but beefier you know cross-country skis to the to the like um telemark i think telemark is by far the easiest and best way for me at least i thought that was the easiest ingrid i have a question why for alpine skis why do you need skins and why don't you need them for cross-country skis excellent question so the alpine skis the bases of them are completely smooth so they are just a smooth surface the cross-country skis have um well, there's a bunch of different kinds. This is, again, getting deep into the glossary of terms of <laughs> skis here. But uh, most of the skis um, that use cross-country skiing have fish scales on the bottom. So basically right underneath your foot of this area that we call the grip zone. And they've got a pattern in them that, again, slides forward but not backwards. And so that will grip in the snow. And so because the alpine touring skis don't have that, you have to have some mode of going forward, going uphill. So you put the skins on to get grip. And is there any terrain that you can't take the cross-country skis on? So, I mean, obviously, if, you're, if you want to do downhill, you should be using alpine skis. But sort of what's the limit of cross-country skis? Yeah, it, all, it comes down to steepness. And so there is a, there's a certain pitch of slope that you a would would not be able to get grip on your cross-country skis and you probably wouldn't want to come down it if you couldn't get up it um so you can zigzag up something on your cross-country skis you would like switch back up um but there at a certain point those skis just aren't going to stick unless you've got skis with skins on them so um yeah, you kind of you're limited to more mellow terrain but it's here in central oregon that's actually a huge percentage of what we have. So it's a really good thing. Basically a slightly wider cross-country ski with a metal edge is a perfect ski around here because you can access all sorts of things. We've got big peaks that you would use Alpine touring gear on, but the surrounding area, you could just have a, a nice cross-country ski and really cover some miles. I just have to, to, to share, we had a, uh, the Central Oregon six pack of peaks, which is a hiking challenge, but we had our first two challengers who actually skinned up Mount Bachelor. So they started at, at the West Lodge, went up to, um, what's the one mid-mountain, Pine Martin. Pine, Pine Martin, yep. Yeah, Pine, Pine Martin. And then they uh, they heard the conditions were good at the summit, and so they, they skinned all the way up to the summit. 
Yeah, we did that last year. Yeah, that's a fun. You can do that sometimes early season. They have a what they call a a climbing route that you can follow on your Mm -hmm. your alpine touring skis. And it's beautiful. You go up first thing in the morning. And yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's cool. So Ingrid, just out of what do you do in summer, right? I mean, you seem like you live to ski and you, <laughs> Go you're to a ski instructor. Hemisphere. Yeah, what, yeah. Do you, what do you do when there's no snow? <laughs> I wish I wish I could just ski year round. No, I have, um, so like everyone in, in Bend, I wear a lot of hats. I've got a small gardening business, so I have some gardening clients. So that's a nice seasonal change from skiing. And a lot of my clients are the same. So I teach them skiing in the, les- in the winter, lessons in the winter, and then I work in their yard in the summer and then I also work in production so I work as a production coordinator for um, various uh, commercial film shoots here in Central Oregon oh cool yeah (laughs) keeps it busy fills my time and yeah we're just all trying to make it work here in Bend yeah and you've got an event coming up right for adventurous women we do yeah we do we have our first winter or first winter adventure and Ingrid reached out to me and was like, hey, let's do a Nordic Ski Weekend. So I'm super excited. It's happening next weekend. And we're going to do intro to Nordic Skiing. And everyone's beginners. I think one of the women's maybe done it a couple. Or a couple of the women have done it a couple times. But we're going to have a fun beginner weekend. And we're based out of Subtle Lodge, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, I think it's going to be an amazing group. Uh, nice size group. We've got um, some... Uh, learn to ski lessons planned the first day for Hoodoo Mountain, and then we're going to do a little off-trail stuff. So on those metal edge skis, getting into the um, into the backcountry a little bit, backcountry light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, I had heard about uh, Severia's camps in the summer um, in Bend, and I just thought that if if anything needed more. Uh, more diversity in sport it's nordic skiing and so i really wanted to pair partner with her so we can start pushing that a little bit especially in in nordic and in central oregon so that's kind of my goal for the next few years to get more of those events happening here now now, do you partner with a resort to do this or is this like your own thing or do you i do yeah it's um because most of the area around here is national forest um it's difficult to get a permit there's a lot of user groups and um, a lot of people so i have um got relationships with um, either people that have permits or um, mostly with uh, resorts to be able to use um, specific areas at specific times. So, And what are your favorite trails around Bend? Oh, um, so Bend has two really good um, groomed Norick areas, one at Mount Bachelor that is a paid area and Virginia Meisner, which is a community-run uh, they're free trails. They're by donation, and they're amazing. Um, and then if I'm going to do some what we call light touring or off-trail, I'll go up to um, Three Creeks Lake, or um, I think it's called Three Three Creeks Snow Park, somewhere up there, and I start there, and there's some, some Nordic touring that you can do in that area. Really beautiful. Or you can park at the very top of Santiam Pass and go kind of towards Mount Jefferson or Three Finger Jack, and that's stunning. There's a big burn area in there, and you can explore around there. You definitely want to have some, there's, there's no trails in there, so you want to have some sort of route finding ability or um, just n- know your way around the backcountry because there's not any uh, marked trails. Now, now, do you do much winter camping? Do you ever do like sort of extended like like a week out in the backcountry, or do you do, do much of that kind of stuff, or do you do mostly like a day trip? I used to. Yeah, I used to do some winter camping, but 
turns out it's not really my favorite thing to do. <laughs> of course, when I was doing it, it was in Canada, and that's just a whole next level of being in the backcountry in the winter overnight. Um, and so if I do overnight stuff down here, it, it's with in huts. So there's a really cool hut-to-hut um, -hut traverse here in Bend. So you can start up by Mount Bachelor and do a three-day, two-night ski over to that Three Creeks snow park that I was telling you about. But yeah, that's something, you know, once you got your skills to a good place, that's an amazing trip to do, just to have these wonderful, well-built hunts um, out there in the in, on a mark trail they give you a map you have an, an app that you can follow um but again you want to have be at least an intermediate level skier to do that yeah i, I was looking at that the the three sisters backcountry where you go you your to your you know and they provide like they stock the the kitchen or whatever and you just show up you know it's that sounds really cool it's amazing um okay so i haven't done any nordic skiing as we've established um, let's say I take some lessons. What will it take for me to get to the point where I could do that like three night tour? Well, I would definitely have a couple years of skiing under your belt. You'd, I'd take, definitely take lessons and get vetted by someone like myself or any of the instructors in up at Mount Bachelor, just because they can give you a good idea. It's a seven to eight mile ski, but like I was saying earlier, that can be pretty breezy or it can be super challenging depending on conditions. And so, um, yeah, and have good fitness and good awareness of where you are. And so the ability to use that app appropriately and then also the ability to use a, a, a map and even compass. I bring a compass with me still, old school, um, just to because there is the potential to get lost and it can get pretty serious quite quickly. So, you know, it's, it's still Nordic, um, but it's a backcountry trip and you want to be in pretty good shape. But um, I, I have definitely taught people up at Mount Bachelor, I teach there as well, that um, come to me, they're like, hey, can you just take, take me out, assess my skills? Do you think I would be able to do this? And then I can give them an honest answer of if they're ready or not. So, Is, there, is it hard to get reservations for, for these? Do you need to reserve these? Is that like a long waiting list kind of deal? Yeah, 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 it is. Um, so you can, uh, you go onto their website, three sistersbackcountry.com and they have a calendar there and they pretty much book up right away. Um, midweek is easier to get. Um, and I think at this point they're actually booking, you have to book the whole hut as a group. You used to be able to just go as an individual, but now you want to get at least four people, four to eight people to do do that trip and you want to get in there early i think the registration opens in february midweek seems to be the best i know like austria and i know if you have the same experience yeah. you go on the weekend and it's packed there's yeah. it's full and there's people in tents outside that are like hanging out inside with their friends then you go like two days later you go on like tuesday and it's like there's two other people in the whole thing midweek is, is the way to go for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah. so take a week off if you want to do it and, and go midweek <laughs> so ingrid what would your advice be if somebody is like okay this sounds cool i want to try cross-country skiing what to set them up for success like what would your recommendations be um i i guess just take lessons find some people that you like to hang out with and um spend some time just get yourself out there on in conditions that are favorable so go on a sunny day where it's not super cold or not really warm because when it's slushy and hot that's not very fun either um you know take a lesson get some good gear don't 
borrow somebody's oversized or undersized gear just to try it out, rent some gear that fits you um, so that your first experience is, is the best it can be. Um, and don't bite off more than you can chew. I've talked to a lot of people who have done that Nordic hut and they were not that traverse. They were not ready for it and then ended up hating, <laughs> hating the sport. Um, yeah, just go with some folks that have experience and, and are able to take good care of you, whether it's an instructor or a friend that, uh, yeah, will take you to the appropriate place at the, when you're as a beginner. Um, did you ever do, cause you said, I mentioned, you mentioned you lived in Tahoe. Did you ever do that? Re the, the, there was, isn't there like a, there's a hut system, ski hut system, like all around the lake. Is there not like a ski hut system? I thought I heard that. Not that I know of. No, I think that there are a bunch of huts. I guess there are a number of huts. huts. I think there's Bradley hut and Anderson hut. And those are backcountry. I, th I think people do take light touring skis in there. But whenever we did those huts, we always had alpine touring gear. So basically we'd stay at the hut and then we'd climb peaks and ski downhill. Um, but yeah, there are a number of, of huts around there. Yeah, there's a C really nice Sierra Club hut in there. Um, another great place to go cross-country skiing or light, light backcountry touring is Crater Lake in Oregon. Oh, it's the most stunning. So you can drive right up to the rim in the winter and park there and then ski. And that you can do as a winter camping trip. You can ski around the lake. It's about uh, 50 kilometers, 30 three miles or something like that. So um, that's uh, that's an incredible place to go cross-country skiing as well. Yeah. Well, almost a year ago, Jeff and I were snowshoeing on the, snowshoeing together on the rim, and that was our second snowshoeing trip along that's Crater cool. Lake. It is stunning. Yeah. Um, but kind of cool, though. I guess, obviously, if you're camping around, you can definitely get some views, you know, um, from the opposite side and everything, which would be pretty neat. You know, you yeah. can only sort of trudge so far in those snowshoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you can kind of follow the like the the road that goes yeah. around the lake. So you have kind of a nice, you know, tree-free path to follow, um, depending on what the snow is like. But yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, the I haven't done the full loop. I would love to, although again. Maybe not winter camping. I might try to knock it off in a day. Um, but uh, I, I almost every year I go out and back a ways. And it's actually can be difficult skiing because it's so windy there that it gets these big whales of snow that are just bumpy. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's it might be only a few miles that you go out, but it takes quite a while because there can be some tricky conditions. You probably saw that when you're on your snowshoes. But um yeah, but it sure is pretty. So when you do camp winter camping with the cross-country skis, are you pulling a sled or can the skis hold the weight of all your gear in a backpack? Um, most folks, if they're going to do light touring with the smaller skis, they'll take a, a sled. Um, I know the folks I know that I've done have done that uh, Crater Lake loop, have done it with a sled. Um I think that most of those, the light touring skis, like we're going to be using Severia for our trip, you could do, you could put, you know, a small amount of gear or a, a, enough gear for a, a night um, and be on those cross-country skis. It'd be fine. As long as you had metal edges, you know, they, as long as they're true uh, light touring gear, not like the track skis. Did you say you raced? You, you raced when you were younger as well? I did, yeah. What, what was that experience like? That must have been kind of crazy, right? Oh, it was great. I mean, it's it's uh, it was uh, you you learn how to be tough when you Nordic ski race in northern Canada. But the best thing about it is that you know I, I raced for years with the same group of girls. Like we started when we were four, and 
Um, they, some of them made it to the national team. Like we had a really good team and uh, we're all really close still. Like they're all still my best friends. And I think part of that is from growing up in a small town, but also because we suffered together a lot. (laughs) And when you suffer together, you really get to know people well. And um, they're still some of my favorite people on the planet. And they're they're all wonderful. And um, we're spread all over the world now. um, But uh, we try to get together as often as we can, at least on Zoom. How rough, how much like roller derby is it? Is there like a lot of like, like, you know, elbowing and like... We we try to limit the physical contact, but sometimes it gets gets a little heated for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, it's worth watching some of the World Cup racing. It can be pretty exciting, especially the mass start stuff. It's uh, this the athleticism and just is incredible to watch. Um, but yeah, I definitely have had some I had some races for sure where I'd come around the corner and they're on a steep hill and there'd be some just bodies of people who have fallen and you're slaloming around <laughs> these people and uh, yeah. So and is it biathlon where they're skiing and shooting? Yes. Yeah, so that is. Um, have you, yeah. Did you ever do that? I did not. We had a biathlon team, but I was terrible at it. I was good at the skiing part, but I was never. I never grew up with guns. Like a lot of my friends that did it, that were good, they were also hunters, and so they grew up hunting. And then so, and then also Nordic racing. So it seemed like a natural thing. Um, and yeah, so it, it always struck me as like the most realistic almost of any sport, right? Because, like, that was how you ate if you lived there, right? You had to ski and then be able to shoot, right? Right, you Like, you yeah. look at curling and you're like, what the hell? Like, who, where did that come from, you know? But you look at biathlon and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Clearly, that was how those people survived. And then they, you know, <laughs> once we'll they had supermarkets, some- they had the skills, so why not turn it into a sport, you know? <laughs> we'll probably get some comments for this, but I think curling was, was invented. I think there was beer involved in the invention of curling. Yes, and she Cheese curds, you know? <laughs> cheese curds, yeah. beer, yeah. Yeah, you have to have beer if you're curling. Almost every the the curling rink in my hometown was had a bar, and you just go and. Did you have a bowling alley as well as a curling? Uh... We did. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was uh, and it was yeah. It, it was it was a five pin bowling, which I guess is a Canadian thing, more Canadian thing. Mm-hmm. I just learned. Yeah. Never heard of that. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the Winter Olympics are com- coming soon. Mm-hmm. Do you? Ha- what are you, the sports that you are going to be watching or interested in, or, or if any? Oh yeah, I love the Winter Olympics. Um, I definitely uh, follow the the cross country skiing. Um, I do really like figure skating, um, for better or worse. Uh, but I, I I like watching figure skating. Um, alpine skiing is exciting to watch hockey obviously (laughs) and that's when i totally go back to my i will never be patriotic towards the u.s hockey team 100 cheering for canada all the time (laughs) so that's uh yeah if there is a gold medal hockey game and canada is in the final which they almost always are there's nobody on the streets in my hometown. Like it's just a ghost town. There's no cars driving around. Like literally every single person is watching that game. <laughs> Did you play hockey as well growing up? No, I, I, we always skated. There was a big lake right where I lived and I always skated right from when I was a little, little kid, but I didn't play hockey. My mom, my mom missed that being a hockey mom, both my brother and I never got into it. Um, so skate skiing is, am I saying that correctly? Mm-hmm. All right. So that, is that a relatively new variation or has that been around for a long time? Cause I, I only see, 
I don't think I, I heard about that a few years ago. Yeah, it it, it is new-ish, but uh, but new meaning about 83, 84 is when that started. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I actually remember it starting because I started racing right when in the early 80s. And I remember my coach saying we were going to try this thing. And so we tried it on our classic skis um, for the first year. And then by the time the next year rolled around, um, the... Uh, governing body for ski racing had split it into two sports they would call skating freestyle so you could do whatever you want and then classic the the other discipline so now they have two sets of, of races and unlike some sports where people specialize in one discipline or the other all nordic racers do both disciplines mm-hmm. yeah. this is the one tough hitting question i mean you don't have to answer it if you don't want to but as a lifelong skier what do you think of snowboarders <laughs> I actually, I appreciate snowboarding because it's really hard. I've tried it and it turns out I'm not good at it, which, uh, you know, I'm usually good at all the sliding things. I like anything that gets people out on on the snow and having a good time. I actually find, I still find it weird that our, there are places, and I don't know if it's still happening, where they wouldn't let snowboarders go. That's still weird to me that you wouldn't encourage all the, the sliding things, but uh yeah, I like to give them a hard time, but uh, I don't have a bias one way or another. <laughs> Are you running for office? Is that is that that? that? I don't want to alienate any. There's right. a lot of snowboarders okay. out there. Good point. Okay, yeah, that was why I said you didn't have to answer, but that's that's okay. That was a good political answer. I'll, I'll accept it. I'll take it. <laughs> Very Canadian answer. Yeah, I like everybody except the U.S. hockey team. <laughs> so top three. Yeah. Um, Top three places to cross-country ski. Top three places. It's just anywhere or... Bucket, in... They can be like bucket list. Like, oh my God, you have to get here. Okay. Well, I, I just keep saying it, but I do think Yosemite Park. If they have snow, one of the coolest places I've ever been. Um, in Canada, uh, there's a number of really great places you can go to cross-country ski. I would say Silver Star Resort is a favorite. Um, it just has a lot of cool terrain, and there's two resorts, one on either side of the, this kind of this mountain, and you can ski between the two. Well, that's pretty tremendous. Um, and then actually, the, the Metau Valley up in Washington, in Winthrop, Washington, is pretty amazing. It's got, I think... The most extensive trail network in the states and um it, there's three towns and the trails connect the towns so you can ski from town to town so that's a pretty cool spot as well cool i'm excited that you say yosemite because again that's like my only experience with it you know other than a few like kind of test gear test runs here in la where the snow was non-existent yeah. and, and again it seemed like amazing and awesome but I, I, yeah. I it's funny that you would say that that you know as someone that's done it and all these amazing places and i really experienced you've peaked yeah. jason i have yeah, like, I've, oh, all sorry. I've, I've already done all it. downhill from there but there's yeah. not downhill in nordic so yeah. <laughs> it's not really. there's downhill it's just scarier yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh what, what why is it scarier is it like Harder to stop? or It is harder to stop. You don't have metal edges. The skis are really skinny and light. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's scarier. It's uh, it's definitely, if you are an alpine skier or a downhill skier and you get on cross-country skis, usually you're like, holy, there's no ankle support like you yeah. have in an alpine ski. So. I only, I, I never did the, just the straight um, 
cross country ones. I always had edges, but they were like the really narrow ones, you know. Oh yeah. So going yeah. to the wider Telemark ones was, was like, oh, you know, and also just how it was, you know, growing up skiing. It was before all the, the was it the parabolic. Yeah. So it now, shapes. like, oh my God, they, they're so much easier to steer and stop and everything now. It's amazing how much just just the angle of them has has changed and made it a much easier thing to do. Uh, and I'm not. Yeah, great. those are new. They they came yeah. out in 1983 as well. Yeah. So. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's around when I stopped skiing. Well, uh, not really, but you know, four or five years before I stopped skiing. <laughs> and uh, so you've met Howard up in the Ostrander hut. He, Howard I have, the yeah. He, he's like yeah. the nicest. He's he's amazing, isn't he? Yeah. He's just like uh, he's the hut master there, and he's been doing it. I think I think I want to say since 1972, which was like the year I was born. And uh, he looks like John Muir, and he's just like, so nice. I think at one point he was the oldest backcountry ranger in the entire national park system. Oh, wow. And just every year he, he you know, they, they have, I met some of the other guys that do the, you know, relieve him, but, it, but it's kind of <laughs> neat. I hope he's still doing it. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> legendary, for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> what, a, what a cool title, Hutmaster. Yeah. <laughs> Dream job. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you ever go up to the Tuolumne Meadows one? Because I know there's a hut up there. I never did that. Uh, yeah, I skied in um, from the east side, mm -hmm. um, and you can actually, there's some really cool tours you can do. You can ski from the east side of the Sierra over to Yosemite Park, yeah. So, and of course in the winter, that's a huge drive, and so what we did is we drove around to the east side from Yosemite, and a, a, huge, a bunch of us skied in. I stayed one night, and then I skied back and took the car, I did the shuttle, and everyone else kept going. Um, and that was a funny experience because I had agreed, because I was only going in for one night or two nights, one night. I had agreed to share a tent with someone I don't know, which is actually a rule I have. I always bring my own gear just because you don't know, yeah. right? And uh, just to be safe. And I didn't. I just trusted. And we get into this place and she'd forgotten the tent poles. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I luckily we were with... Um, we were with somebody that had access to shelter. And so we were able to get in somewhere and have a roof over our heads, but that was a good lesson learned. Mm -hmm. um, but then from that point too, you can also ski the John Muir Trail. You can mm -hmm. ski along that road over to Mammoth. There was a gal that used to um, be one of the caretakers at Osterander and they lived in Mammoth and she could ski. She was a badass. She could, they would ski from Mammoth over to Osterander. You know, it's a big, yeah. Like, I think it, just because I wasn't a good enough skier, like all that stuff sounds amazing to me and I'd love to try it, but I, I yeah. never felt like my, I, you know, I, you, we could kind of get up there, but yeah, to be yeah. honest, the down was the hard part. Like it was, yeah, you can trudge, you can yeah. trudge up, but you know, the down was always sort of, and again, the snow wasn't always great. I had maybe mm -hmm. of the, I think nine, it's either eight or nine times I've been up there. Only two of those trips was the snow actually good. <laughs> so yeah, that's so, pretty standard Sierra. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So you're it's a qualifier, expert, yeah. Expert level trails and then often expert level conditions. So, you know, maybe if it was perfect, it would still be still be a difficult ski. It's a pretty magical way to access that part of the country, though, because there's not many people that can do it. And so we're, I love that everyone's getting into recreation, but it's hard to get places where there aren't a lot of people. And if you have good, if you're a good skier, you can get into some places and not kind of have them to yourself. It's pretty cool. So Ingrid, what haven't we talked about in the cross-country ski world? One of the glossary of terms that we uh, didn't talk about was scajuring. You guys ever heard of scajuring? 
So that's when you uh, get towed by your dog on your cross-country skis. Um, and that's something I haven't actually done, but I really want to do because it just looks so fun. And these dogs are having a good time. You're flying down the trails. Um, and they, so they have a little bit of scajoring here in Central Oregon. There's a club that does it. And, uh, um, but yeah, if you want to check out some really good skiers, um, Google scajoring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, we're on Zoom as well. You know, we don't publish this, but I'm looking at Severia and in the background, Betty <laughs> is asleep. And I'm just trying to imagine Severia like trying to get her, Betty, who weighs, does Betty weigh 20 pounds? <laughs> oh, she's 12. 12 pounds, you know, like, come on, Betty, pull me, you know, on the skis. I'm just trying to imagine that happening. Maybe we should try yeah. that. They should be like yeah. in the backpack. Yeah. Totally. I'll throw her in the backpack. I have some friends who've tried skijoring with their golden labs. And uh, the problem with those is that they their attention span is limited. And so, you know, they see a squirrel or something. And yeah. now one of them go, goes in one direction and the other one's still going forward. And it just becomes a mess. So they kind of gave up on that idea. I think you have to have the right dogs with the right training to the really right dogs and start them young and that's yeah. their you know you get a dog that's that's a pulling dog preferably or, or a working dog that you know wants that task yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. something i have yeah, a friend up. who recently moved to bend and she has an alaskan husky and it's a it's almost a skinny it, it's really it's a beautiful dog but it's not like the big fluffy huskies that you think of but it's a sled dog Mm -hmm. And it's and so she's excited. I don't know if she's done it yet this winter, but she was talking about it being someplace with snow because she was like, this dog like wants to run and yeah. like wants a job, wants to go to work. Well, and in the the area where you access the backcountry um, up on Mount Bachelor, you can't bring dogs because it's a watershed, but you can get a an exception if you have a skidjuring permit and I don't know if I don't quote me on that because no. it's that was I haven't checked that in a couple of years but you used to be able to buy get a five dollar skajoring permit or maybe it was free from the forest service and if you had a proper skajoring harness you're you could go with your dog and so a lot of people if they wanted to go skiing with their dog that was the only way they could do it now we have That's some cool. other spots yeah you have some spots that are closer to town that you can ski with your dog um, but basically everything that's on the south side of the highway that goes out to Mount Bachelor is open to dogs, but everything on the north side is off limits unless you have a skidroring permit. Mm -hmm. So, If I didn't yeah. believe you so much, I would think you're, this was all made up. I know. Like, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that skidroring was an actual thing. Obviously, I 100% trust you and believe you, but but it just sounds so like like fantastic and, and it, you know. It's kind of like like do you have you guys heard of Nordic Combined that Olympic sport Nordic Combined? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch all do, that stuff. Yeah. They do ski jumping and Nordic skiing. So we we call it Nordic Confused because it's, <laughs> it's such a bizarre sport. Is you you have you do ski jumping just like regular ski jumping in the Olympics, and then based on your jump distance you then do a, a staggered start for a nordic race so it's completely different disciplines of skiing completely different <laughs> gear um and, but yeah have you tried ski jumping have you done that no that's okay, no nope. yeah. <laughs> i don't i no. <laughs> that doesn't appeal to me at all you like your knees yeah i do and i i used to I actually worked at the canada olympic park in calgary alberta for years as a ski instructor and um one time, because we were employees, we were able to hike. To, they took us to the top of the 90-meter tower. And just being at the top made me so terrified. Just looking down that skinny thing that they, they drop mm -hmm. into. Oh, man, you have a different breed of people that are into Absolutely. that. You have to be so brave. 
Um, yeah, so no, that does not appeal to me in the slightest. <laughs> I, I went to the gold medal finals in Salt Lake for men's awesome. ski jump. And that's, an, I mean, just watching it, it was, it was and how long they're in the air. I, I, it's mind blowing. It's, you should watch it. People should watch it. I mean, I, cool. seeing it live too. I mean, it's cool to watch it on TV, but seeing that it live, it's, it's just, you're just, you know, how long they, they're flying. It's unbelievable, but it looks terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you, I'm sure, like I said, your knees are also probably glad that you haven't tried it because totally. I can't imagine that's, you know, <laughs> one bad landing on, uh, you know, a couple of bad landings on that. <laughs> yeah. No. Speaking of bad landings, have you had a lot of bad crashes in your, in your ski career? I've had some good crashes, but I think because I've had the good fortune of learning when I was young, um, I, you know, I know my limits and I know how fast I can go. And what's a good crash? What's a good crash? <laughs> one you walk away, one that you, one that you walk away from. That's a good yeah, crash. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, um, yeah, I've had, I've definitely had some, some spills and, and lost all my stuff. I, I have had, had some bad spills when I, on my cross country skis, when I worked in, in uh, Tahoe because it gets so icy there in the spring and you're just skiing so fast and um, those like I said those skis are really fast and and scary on those icy conditions so I've definitely crashed but luckily knock on wood um, I have not had any hospital time unlike mountain biking where I've had lots yeah. of hospital time <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, Sierra cement right isn't that the yes, uh, yes the exactly. snow the, yeah so, um, yeah you wear a helmet when you usually when you I mean I, I assume some of it's probably easy and maybe it's less necessary but do you usually wear a helmet when you alpine ski or cross-country ski uh just when I alpine ski I do and yeah. when I backcountry ski I usually take my helmet as well yeah. um interesting fact though I last year I um I got one of those fancy watches that shows how fast you go mm -hmm. and so it gives you your maximum speed and your average speed and I went alpine skiing one day and nordic skiing the next day and with my watch on and my maximum speed was about the same in both sports. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you know, I grew up racing, so going fast on Nordic skis is not a problem. But I realized, like, I, I wish I hadn't known that because I don't, I would not ever go alpine skiing without a helmet, but I would never wear a helmet Nordic skiing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you'll see some folks wearing them. Yeah. Um, I do know two people that wear them on a regular basis, cross-country skiing, but they both have had bad head injuries and cannot have another one. And so... Yeah. What is the fastest you've ever been on skis? Do you know? I don't know. I, I, I don't, don't yeah. even remember what my 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 speed was. Yeah. <laughs> Would you know what your fastest you like your watch has told you what, what that is? Which is probably nowhere near your actual fastest. I'm assuming, but I uh, yeah, it's like thirty four, thirty five. Oh, okay, so that's yeah. fast, but that's not it's like, fast. Yeah, yeah, not like crazy fast. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not a, much of a speed demon, which is probably why I was drawn more to more Nordic to Nordic than, than, yeah. than downhill. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, we're. This is probably a little too late for our listeners to sign up for the event with Severia, unfortunately. But uh, do you have any other? Because by uh, the time events? you hear this, it'll already have happened. It will have already happened. But but what else <laughs> do you have on the calendar? Are there any other great events you want to tell anyone that they have time to sign up for? Yeah, um, so we have a similar event happening in February um, that I've partnered with, again, with the Subtle Lodge um, and uh, She Jumps, which is a nonprofit um, that focuses on getting young women into skiing. And it started as an alpine skiing uh, focus, but now is broadened into Nordic as well. And so this will be our first She Jumps Nordic event, and we are doing 
Nordic and yoga and wine tasting with Matt Singer Davis, uh, Anna Matt Singer from Matt Singer Davis uh, Winery out in Willamette Valley at the Subtle Lodge. Um, so that's February 23rd, 24th, I think that's that weekend, uh, 25th, 26th of February. Um, so you can register through the Subtle Lodge website or through my website. Glad and just Nordic. just to, just for clarification, the drinking happens after the skiing, right? Yeah, you okay. Sure. Well, I yeah, don't know. Usually, yeah, sure, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. too much of it yes. before, and I don't know. It seems like a, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Safety first. Yeah, yeah. Start with yoga, then go skiing, then cool. go drinking. That's okay. the the order of events. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Yeah, and <laughs> she great. is a great organization. Yeah. They are fantastic. So that uh, that will yeah. probably sell out. Um, we're capping it at uh, 16 people. So, well, well, links for that will be in our show notes. This has been awesome, and I now know way more about skiing, and I'm super excited for the trip that we have coming up. I'm even more excited than I already was. Um, but yeah, Ingrid, can you let people know how to find you in case they want to come to Bend and learn how to ski, or do you teach other places outside of Bend? Let us know. Absolutely, yeah. And um, so you can check out my website, glidenordic.com, to see events in the area. And um, and I also teach at Mount Bachelor Nordic. So if you just want a hour and a half lesson, private lesson, you can book through mountbachelor.com um, through their Nordic area. Awesome. Thanks, Ingrid. This has been, been I mean, uh, it's, uh, again, it's something I've done and I know nothing about it, literally zero about it. So you've actually filled in a lot of like missing, missing pieces. And, so and I haven't done on. it yet, but yeah. now it's on my list. So I'll, Now, uh, yeah, when you do your ski and ride in five, maybe you should sneak across the parking lot and get a Nordic lesson as well. So. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, okay. Ingrid. Thanks, you guys. Nice yeah. to meet you. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we talk to adventurer, shark conservationist, and television host, Kinga Phillips. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>